0: Good evening. Well, I've been uh, very blessed and thankful for uh, these times that I've been able to uh, speak on Sunday evenings, and uh, I have felt very honored and and grateful. Uh, Tonight, we're going to connect with the first lesson that I gave. Uh, In that first lesson, I acquainted you with a man named Augustine Now. I know this is a challenge, but if you remember, <laughs> uh, he was a man who wrote me and Eunice, he lived 80, more than 80 miles north of us, uh, and wanted us to come and be a witness to something that he was going to do that was going to go against uh, the traditions of his people. And so we went up there, and he's the one that took about 15 of us up on those tall rocks, and we sang Christian hymns, and he said, I want to sing Christian hymns because I want to announce to the spirit world that there is a Christian presence here. Uh, Christianity hadn't taken hold in that part of Aboluya territory, uh, and so they were some of the first in their area to become Christians. And what he was addressing was the most important event in the life of a young Omoluya man, boy. And this is the rite of passage, going from being a young man to a man. And it involves circumcision. Traditionally, uh, the boys who were circumcised were in their early 20s, but because of schooling, education and those kinds of complications to life, uh, they were younger. Uh, Joseph, his son, his firstborn son, uh, was 16 years old. So Eunice and I went up there. I'll have to admit um, that pridefully, uh, well, in the letter he says, I-, I made some changes and I want to do it in a Christian way. And pridefully, I'll have to admit, my thought was how could he make those changes? He hadn't talked to me yet. Um, Well, I was penitent about that when it was all over. Uh, Let me run you through what typically is done Uh, the family makes a sacrifice to the ancestors. And if it is the firstborn son, the firstborn son wears the stomach of the cow on his neck to identify with the ancestors and the sacrifice that was given to protect him. The family, it's a public event. Neighbors, friends, relatives come from long distances to be there at this event. And the family will brew beer for everybody to have a big party after the event. The boys in the neighborhood, several of them typically are going to be going through this rite of passage together, uh, and uh, they form an age group when they do this together. All night long before the event, those boys go running throughout the community ringing bells. These boys, they wore a bracelet on their arms and no clappers in the bell. They'd have to hit the bracelet with the bell to make it ring. And they'd be singing songs as they did this all night long. At sunrise. They would run down to the river, strip their clothes off, get in the river, come out, and they would smear mud all over their bodies and put a clump of mud up on the top of their head and put a reed in that clump of mud uh, because it was going to be a testament to whether he was brave or not. If it shook during the circumcision, he was marked as a coward his whole life long. Then after the circumcision, all of the boys would meet and they would go through what is called a month of seclusion to where there would be men that would be working with them that would educate them on the childish things they needed to quit doing and the adult things that they would now be responsible for in their role as a man in Abuluya society. During that month, They are a non-person. If something unfortunate should happen and one of the boys die during that month, the family cannot have a funeral for them. They cannot mourn for them because they are a non-entity during that month. After the month is over, they have big celebrations everywhere, Uh, a real coming-out party. They wash the mud off that now has become crusty and kind of looks like clay, uh, giving kind of a ghostly appearance to them. And really the mud was there to protect them during this month of seclusion so that spirits wouldn't be able to recognize them, to work harm against them. So they'd wash the mud off, they would get presents and be treated royally at the end of that time. Well, we came up there and... um, Augustine took us up on those rocks and uh, we sang songs and then he explained a few things. He said, I am not sacrificing to the ancestors. I have given my life to Christ and I will not give honor to any other spirits. I and my family are not going to uh, brew beer for everyone. We will cook chai, African tea. And let everyone drink as much African chai, which I love, uh, as they want. Uh, Our son Joseph is not going to dance and run through the uh, neighborhood singing those songs all night long because they sing very lewd songs, and he's not going to do that. Instead, we are going to have an all-night worship service in our house And we're going to sing and read and pray all night long." We did that. And his father, who was not uh, Joseph's father, uh, no, uh, Augustine's father, who was not a Christian, was not happy with the decisions that Augustine had made. And he got his cronies with him, and they were running around the hut singing their songs, banging on the windows and doors as they went around the hut. And the Christians gathered there with about 15 to 20 of them, singing their songs to Christ and reading Scripture while this is going on around the hut. Uh, During that time, Joseph did sneak out to try to get to be with the other fellows that were going to be a part of his age group. But his dad sent someone out to get him and brought him back. Um... But he said, my son is going to go down to the river at dawn, and he's going to put on the mud, because he is really going to be an Omaluya man. And so he came up, and um, uh, there is one individual in a community that really politics for the role of being the circumciser. And he goes around to the various compounds where this is done. And uh, after the circumcision, he blows a whistle. Everybody there just shouts and sings and starts dancing and really having a wonderful time celebrating the bravery of the young man who was just initiated into manhood. But one of the most powerful things Augustine decided was that at the conclusion of the circumcision, he said, we are not leaving the mud on my son. We are going to wash the mud off my son because we do not fear any spirits that will harm him because we have put our faith in Jesus and Jesus is more powerful than any spirit and Jesus will protect him during the one month of seclusion. When he announced that to the crowd that was there, that was the thing that made their jaws just drop that they couldn't believe that he was doing because to them he was putting his son in a very vulnerable position. Well, I'm glad to report that uh, Joseph went through that month of seclusion just fine, and uh, they celebrated his becoming a man uh, in... A wonderful Christian way just like I think Augustine did a marvelous job of sifting through the practices, what he could do and what he couldn't do anymore. Okay, let's lay that aside. We're going to come back to that in initially. Let's go to some Scripture. Israel was promised land And Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, really was landless when he died, except for the cave of Machpelah, which he had purchased, where they would bury them. And so when he died, he died with a cave and a promise. A promise from God that your descendants will receive, and I will give you this land that you see here. You can fast forward hundreds of years to the story in the book of Exodus. The Jews have been slaves in Egypt. God has come, sent His servant Moses to free the people, to redeem the people from their oppression in Egypt. But also, a part of all of that is that this is the moving of Abraham's descendants from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, we know the story. Those who left didn't get there because of all the things that happened in the wilderness. But when they left Egypt, imagine the excitement in their hearts the dreams that they were having of having their own places and not having overlords that told them what to do, expectations of what life would be as free people. And the greatest expectation was that God would fulfill His promise and would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. God did that. That came about in a rather unusual way. God said, I will drive out your enemies. You know, in the Old Testament, there were many battles that the Jews fought. And so many of them were fought in ways that really illustrated that God is a part of the battle more than human beings. Sometimes, if you remember stories, there's just 300 against a great uh, uh, army. God showed His greatness and His power. Well, let's see how God is going to do this to give them the land. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 23, we're going to read beginning with verse 20 through the end of the chapter. Exodus 23, beginning with verse 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them. And break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and His blessings will be on your food and water. I will take away the sicknesses from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year. Now listen to these words. I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So here they're ready to conquer all of those people that are in Canaan. And God says, this is possible, but there is a practical way that we're going to do it. The land is given to you, yet full possession of it, not yet. Verse 30 said, little by little we will conquer these people and you will take possession of it. I think one of the things that happens when God does it this way is that not only is He creating the timeline to where the people can occupy the land fully, but also He's presenting a method of giving the land to where there is a partnership between God and the people working together together. To defeat the tribes, God could have wiped them all out immediately, but He did not do it that way. Now, I think that this is a process that God uses with His people this idea of little by little. That's how He works with us. If you want to look, we're going to deal with some New Testament passages now. If you want to look at 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 18. Uh, This is one that you are familiar with. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Christians are in the process of transformation you don't get someone where you want them to be immediately. But every one of us, as long as we're alive on this earth, will be in the process of being transformed more fully into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's His general pattern in working with us. We become Christians in an instant, in a moment. That's a positional uh, understanding. I go from being a slave to Satan to being a slave of God. I go from death to life, and that happens when we are baptized into Christ, and we come out of that grave, and we are completely God's child positionally. But to become Christian, how you live as a Christian. It's not immediate. You don't come out of the watery grave of baptism a complete, full-born adult Christian. That's why they say it's a new birth. We are babes in Christ. We learn, we take steps. It's a process that we go through little by little. Um, A few weeks ago, we made a trip up to Portland, Oregon. Uh, that's where I preached before moving to Abilene and they were having their 50th anniversary of their church. And so they invited us up there and I got to be a part of that and preach for them that Sunday. But it was a real joy to be there and to see some of the kids that were a part of the youth group that were now elders. You talk about a transformation, you look at any youth group, probably you wonder what's going to become of them, you know, particularly some of them. But then you see God's work in their life. And, and two of the men that are serving now as elders, it was just a joy to know that God has been at work in their lives. There were some, I, I, I wrote down young women, but they really were mature women at this point, 50 years later. Uh, but mature women who had been in the youth group who were a part of the process of organizing this whole celebration of 50 years. What a joy to see God's work in people's lives. This is the practice of sanctification, of letting God's Spirit work in us to mature us little by little to become more like Jesus Christ. 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 13 through 16, is where Peter tells the folks that they are to be holy because God is holy. And that certainly echoes Leviticus, the 11th chapter, verse 44. In the Old Testament, the Jews were called to be holy, and that means to be set apart, to be different. In the Hebrew, it's Kadesh, and in Greek, it's Hagios, to cut off or to separate, set apart and a part of the process that the Jews had and that we even have. When we become children of God, we become set apart. Our life is different, and we have to figure it out. How do I live as a child of God? Philippians, the second chapter, verses 12 and 13, is where Paul encourages the christians in philippi to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling now this isn't talking about positional salvation how we become christians when we obey and are immersed and become a follower of jesus born again but he's asking them to work out your salvation, work out the implications of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you look at your world, and you think, okay, what in my world moves me away from Jesus, and what will move me toward Him? That's what Augustine was doing. When he was analyzing this process, this most important process that a young man goes through, what in that process moves us away from God, and what can we still hold on to and be close to God? And that's the process that we have to be involved with. In First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 8, I'm not going to read it, but he wants them to make some choices. He tells them some things to avoid and he tells them some things to learn. And so, a Christian is actively involved in this process of becoming more like Christ. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 22, is where Paul tells them to walk by the Spirit. And that idea of walking envisions an active process that I'm engaged in. Nothing static about that. And you walk in the Spirit as long as you are breathing on this earth. The end of that passage is where you find the fruit of the Spirit. He talks, after they are exhorted to walk by the Spirit, he talks about the acts of the flesh And he lists them, and they're to avoid those. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I like the way that those are characterized. The acts of the flesh are acts. But the fruit of the Spirit is fruit that is born in our lives when we walk with the Spirit, when we stay close to the Lord through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And He helps change us. Romans 8, beginning with verse 5, not going to read it, but this is where Paul exhorts them to set your mind a certain way. If your mind is set on the flesh, you'll do certain things. But if your mind is set on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires, you will do other things, and you'll be becoming mature in Jesus Christ. Last passage I want to mention here is Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11. And just one of the phrases that he uses there he says, Discover what pleases the Lord. We live a life of discovery. That's not all known when we come out of the waters of baptism. But as I live my life, and even as I'm getting older, there are more things I need to learn about. What pleases the Lord in this stage of life? And so we always have to learn that. It's a process of separating our life from the old and embracing the new. And like I said, you can't take a person all the way to where you want them to be or even where they need to be by flipping a switch are moving them through the waters of baptism. That begins their journey, and we journey with them. And so this is the process all of our life. Little by little, that's how they conquered the land. A little attentiveness every day will help us become more Christian, in the way that we live. Like Israel, we need to commit to the process. And of course, they had flaws in their commitment. You know, at my best moments, I want to be more like Jesus Christ, and I will make decisions to do the right thing. But there are other times And it's not so much that those other times I don't want to be like Jesus, but there are other times when I lose focus. And my focus isn't driven by wanting to be like Christ. I hit a snag, and I have to figure it out. You know, I think that that is the area maybe of the most important spiritual warfare that goes on in the life of individual Christians. Having to sort all of this out internally. How do I please God? What does the Spirit want me to do? What do I need to turn loose of? If I could use a playground illustration, you remember the monkey bars? You can't move forward until you turn loose. You always have to Turn loose to move forward. And that's the way it is in our lives as Christians. Turn loose of the things that are holding us back so that little by little we'll become more like him. We can become disappointed in our progress. And I want to encourage you here. We need to celebrate small victories. It's just not big things like Augustine went through that we need to celebrate, but small victories. You know, I went for an hour today and didn't explode in anger at my kids, you know. Thank you, Lord, you know. I went for a whole day. And by God's grace, I didn't use any crude language. Thank you, God. I went all the time at work and didn't tell a coarse joke or listen to the jokes that others were telling. Thank you, God. Or. I was actually able to be kind to the person that I really have great disagreements with at work. Thank you for that little victory. You know, those little things are what help begin to change us. And if we are attentive to the little by little things that happen in our lives, we will become daily more like Jesus Christ. Give praise to God for growth that is little by little. And that's a process that is a process for young folks. I see some young folks over here and the rest of you. uh, The older crowd. Uh, All of us are in this process. Now think about what Augustine was doing. He was sifting through his life determining what decisions he needed to make about very important realities. We live in our own culture. We wouldn't make decisions about things that he was having to decide. But in the culture that we live in, we have to sift through our world and ask God to help us to understand what is it that I need to make sure that I turn loose of or I don't get involved in, and what do I need to embrace so that I can be more Your child. Kind of reminds me of the language of Paul in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 22 through 24, when he talks to the Christians about putting off the old self and putting on the new one. And sometimes we can forget about that process. Now, when you leave here this evening, I would like to challenge you to spend some time today or tomorrow just sifting through your life. Are there things I need to turn loose of? How do I make my life real to follow Jesus? I want us to sing. A chorus of a song. Uh, Would you stand with me because we're going to go into the invitation song after this. A song you know, Oh, to be like thee. Um, And we're going to slow it down because I want the words to sink into our hearts. And I want you to hold on to that first O, and there's another O in it because that is the O of desire. It's not the oh, acknowledge it. Oh, I understand. No, it's not that. Oh, it's oh. I would really like that one. So would you sing with me? Oh, to be like thee. That's what every one of us needs, the image of Christ stamped deeply in our hearts. And it happens, little by little, as we give our lives over to the Lord and His guidance and to follow Him. Remember that perfection isn't what is expected. What is important is that you have a relationship with Christ and you are in that process with him your whole life. We don't get perfection until Jesus comes again and then we'll all be like him. But every one of us, little by little, can become more and celebrate those victories and his image be deeper in us. Tonight, if you're at a point in your life that you want help, maybe you need prayers. Uh, Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord and make that initial decision to be a person of faith and let that move you to be baptized, to begin this life of following Jesus, seeing those victories little by little. Let Christ heal your brokenness and come while we are standing and while we sing.